0: Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution, code badges. That's right, you heard me right. Basically, the idea is is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at CodeBadge.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Aaron Sumner. Aaron, do you want to say hi?
1: Hey, everyone. How's it going?
0: Now you were on episode 353 which is actually fairly recent released this year as we record this talking about removing business business logic I can I can talk I promise from rails controllers and we talked about a bunch of other stuff too if I remember right
1: Yeah we talked quite a bit about testing mainly because the testing angle is is what brought me to refactoring controllers like mm-hmm. how a lot of the uh the tools provided for testing controllers are being slowly deprecated out of rails and so just looking at options for different ways to to work around that whether it's testing at different layers or just moving that code out of the controller so it can be tested more efficiently somewhere else so yeah
0: yeah makes sense to me yeah and i remember we talked about service objects and why you might want to why you might not want to and yeah, I seem to remember talking about a blog post by Abdi Grimm and a bunch of other stuff.
1: Yeah. yep, we covered a lot of ground there. Yeah, we did.
0: So do you want to just give everybody a short uh, recap of who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive into your story?
1: Yeah, so I uh, my day job, I'm a senior software engineer at O'Reilly Media, so the mm-hmm. company with the animal book covers is what a lot of people know for. But what a lot of people in the Ruby community know me for, those who do are... You know, we mentioned the blog, Blog Everyday Rails, that I started several mm-hmm. years ago. And then book on learning how to test with RSpec that, right. that spawned out of that.
0: Cool. Well, uh, well, we'll come back around to that stuff because I think it's all interesting. But uh, let's, let's go back to when you first got into programming. How did that happen?
1: I was trying to remember this, uh, which came first. I remember that my, uh, my school, when I was in maybe fifth grade or so, got a computer and it was a uh, TRS-80 so one of the Radio Shack computers uh-huh. that hooked up to a TV and it was on a on an AV cart so it would wheel around from room to room <laughs> and it wound up in our classroom more often than not i think and so that that was i think my first exposure but around that same time i took a uh, a computer like week or two long class at a local community college and uh, got some exposure to the the business level Uh TRS-80 computers. And uh, so I did that. It was okay, but it it wasn't super interesting. They were mostly for games, I thought. A little bit of how to write my own games, but they were not fun enough to play to really stick with it. Uh And then uh, fast forward to college some, and uh, that was right when the web was taking off. And I attended the University of Kansas where the Lynx browser, the uh, really early text-only browser Uh was developed. And my time there overlapped with some of the people who did that work. And I remember one of them telling me that, you know, one day uh, every company in the world is going to have a website. And if you want to know anything about the company, you'll just go to their website and you'll learn everything there is. And I thought, no, that's not going to happen. And then (laughs) Maybe it will. So I I got into it more than learning how to do web pages. And then that that fast forwarded into doing things more dynamic server side and then going on and more complicated things from there. Cool. Very cool.
0: So uh, how did you then get into Ruby?
1: So at that point, I'd been doing work on the web for a while and... You know, I I started with Perl and got into uh, PHP, wrote some really horrible, tough-to-maintain PHP, Mm -hmm. and I thought there's got to be a better way. So I started a new job, and it was basically up to me to pick the whole stack. So I took a few weeks to do some research into different frameworks. And this was right around the time where Rails, I think, was not quite Mm 1.0. And so I decided, well, I'm going to give... I'll give this Rails thing a, a couple of weeks and I'm going to give Django a couple weeks and just right. the, the Python framework and just see which one feels better. And I didn't know it at the time, but Django had been developed in Lawrence, Kansas, where I was living and uh-huh. cool and all that. I didn't know that. Um, and, but I just liked the way that, that Ruby felt coming out of my fingers. It, it just felt better. Uh, it made more sense to me. I read parts of anyway. uh, Wise, poignant guide to Ruby. The uh, <laughs> I love that book. Yeah, and that was like if if a community accepts this such a, a creative mind to to develop something like this, and it's just part of what the community has. That's a community I want to be in. Uh-huh. So that that sort of sealed the deal, and I I built that project with Rails and many many others since then.
0: Awesome. So uh, so you got in for Rails, and then. Um, It looks like you've done uh, a few things. You know, we talked about your book. Uh, We talked about a few other things that uh, that you've been involved in. What are the things that you get excited about? Like if somebody asked you, Hey, what have you done in the Ruby space? And you know, why should I care? Why should I get excited? Uh, What what would you talk to him about that you've done?
1: Well, I think most people these days know me from the book more than anything. And, and, and uh, I'm always happy to talk about that. I, Whenever I go to a meetup or something like that, and someone realizes, oh, you're the one who wrote that book. And I say, yeah, that was me. Um, Can I ask you some questions, of course? So that's that's what we wind up talking about a lot. Sort of around around the periphery of of Ruby, I I like talking a lot about Git. Um, I've done a couple of talks at smaller events on using version control and Git in particular to kind of be kind to your to your future self Mm -hmm. Uh, you know good commit messages tidy commits but then also learning how to go back in time so that when you're you're hitting this line of code that you have no idea what it means and and who's the idiot who wrote this get blame oh yeah it was me and it was two (laughs) weeks ago and I already forgot what it meant um uh, so just the tools to kind of go back and forth and and use Git as a good documentation tool, stuff like that.
0: Makes sense. I want to go back to the book for a minute. Um, what, what prompted you to write a book on RSpec? I mean, there's, there are a couple of other books out there about testing in Rails. So why that one in particular?
1: So I, the, the book came out of the blog that I'd been writing for a couple of years at that point. And testing was one of those things that didn't come intuitive intuitively to me. Mm-hmm. It it made sense on paper, but the the books on Rails that I'd initially looked at didn't really integrate it throughout the book as I think they do now, where let's let's write a feature, let's learn this new skill, and let's write the test to cover it. It was more like here back in chapter 15, we'll cover all of testing at once.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And at that point, I was well, you know, I've I've got this application, I've clicked around a lot, it works for me. I'll, I'll I'll figure out testing later, and then later got pushed back, pushed back. And I think after a while, it, it started to to come to me, and I was kind of deliberate about how I went about learning it, um, breaking it down into okay. I'm just going to focus on how do I write unit tests, mm-hmm. and I, I got some code that I, I I'm pretty sure works. So I write the tests to to kind of test it retroactively. And then once I really am comfortable with that, I'll move on to something more complicated. Right. So I that was a process I took, and then I started writing a few blog posts about it, mm-hmm. and they gained a lot of traction, a lot more than really anything I'd written to that point. So I thought maybe I should try to make a book off of this, and so that's that's how the book sprouted out of that. Um, it was I uh, I used Leanpub to. Um, to self publish it. Right. And their model is they really encourage you to get a little bit out the door, validate what you got, Mm -hmm. validate how much you can charge for it, stuff like that. So the first version of that book was, I think, four blog posts, copied and pasted with some placeholders for some more chapters and a little bit more. And it sold quite well. So I knew I was onto something. And, uh, so, yeah, five years or something later now, um, it's gone through a lot of revisions. It's on Rails 5 now, 5.1. Five Rails mm-hmm. 5.1. And yeah, I sold around 6,000 some copies with very little marketing. And Wow. Know.
0: That's impressive. Yeah, I just, I love hearing these success stories. And especially, you know, where it's, you know what, I figured out that people needed this and you know, you put something out there and figured out, oh yeah, yep, yeah, more people need this, and so you you wrote it.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's it's such an obvious or not maybe not obvious. It was obvious to me at the time, but it's a it's a good next step. From I've been blogging for a while, uh-huh. build up a little audience. Can I do something at the next level? Right. I, I always encourage people to to give it a shot. The tools are out there and easy to use and. If you can write a blog, you can write a book.
0: Yep, makes sense. So has most of your contribution been on blogs or writing the book, or have you done other things in open source or speaking at conferences or other areas?
1: Mostly the blog and the book. I've done uh, a little bit of conference speaking. Like I mentioned, uh, the, the Git stuff, that is a conference talk I gave a few times at some small regional events in the kansas area and uh at meetups things like that i've I've been really active in meetups in areas that i've lived mm-hmm. in terms of open source i've got a couple things out there that nobody uses and i don't really promote um, i'll do drive-by commits to things that i notice need fixing or improvement where i can and you know, and then a lot of different projects. Awesome. But I don't really I, focus on anything.
0: Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, just keeping that book current and things like that, it's got to be a lot of work and it, it really does outline for people how to approach a lot of these things. And so I, I think it really is a terrific contribution to the community.
1: Cool. Yeah, it, it, uh, it is a lot of work to keep it up to date and, uh, maybe don't get to that as often as I'd like to, but I do every couple of years. Cool. Well, what are you working on now? You know, I um, just moved a couple of weeks ago, I moved 2000 miles uh, from Lawrence, Kansas to Astoria, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so between that and uh, kind of an unrelated family matter, those have been keeping me really busy uh, right. and the day job. But once those settle down, I'm I'm interested in doing something new that's not related to that testing book. Mm-hmm. We've, we've mentioned Git a few times, I I'd like. I'm interested in doing something that's maybe a video related to uh, what I was just talking about, or right. pitching that talk to some some bigger events. Uh, so that's that'll be my my focus here. Hopefully, in the next month or two, you'll be able to get settled down with the personal stuff and back to that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm looking forward to
1: whatever you decide to uh, to give us, <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Uh, it'd be nice to, uh, to get back into it. Yep.
0: Well, cool. Well, let's, before we get into picks, I'm wondering you know, if people want to follow you. You said everydayrails.com, I believe it's your blog.
1: Yeah, everydayrails.com is the blog and it's uh, everydayrails on Twitter. And then from there, there's also the uh, links to any other social media. There's a newsletter that I try to write to you now and then. And then my personal site is aaronsumner.com. Don't write there nearly as often as I should.
0: Nice. Well, yeah, hopefully people can go check it out and see what, they, see what they can get from it. Let's go ahead and go to PIX. Do you have some things you want to shout out? Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today.
1: Uh, yeah, I've got... One that's kind of a two-parter. So I heard in an episode a while back that you had just gotten a smoker. Mm-hmm. I love my smoker. That's pretty <laughs> I much love mine hobby. too. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my hobby. Uh, I, I like being able to pretty much totally unplug from anything else. The only thing digital involved in that process for me is a digital thermometer. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything else is just analog, just kind of checking how things look, stuff like that. And my my picks are both related to that. So, have you ever been to uh, Franklin Barbecue down in Austin?
0: No, I haven't. I've only been to Austin a few times.
1: Yeah, same here. And I've not been to Franklin Barbecue. The the last time I went, I'd hope to, but if you don't get there super early, the line is around the block within an hour or so. so. Oh wow! And he only serves lunch. So. Um, I uh I've not been there, but he's uh, written a book called uh Franklin Barbecue A Meat Smoking Manifesto. Uh-huh. And then there's a corresponding he did a show on PBS down there called uh Barbecue with Franklin.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And those both really change a lot how I think about cooking myself, just in terms of his His approach to just keeping things simple and old school really. He in the TV show, in particular, he goes around to talk to some of the really super old school pitmasters who've been at it for years Uh um, and learning from their crafts and really kind of appreciating what they do. And so, yeah, those those, that's my two parter pick um, is the the book, and the you can get that on DVD or it looks like it streams on Amazon Prime. I'm not sure about other services. But if you're into cooking outside, uh, really great resources.
0: Nice. What what kind of a digital thermometer do you have?
1: I want to say uh, the brand is a Javelin. It's a little red, kind of fits in your pocket. And then the the pointy thermometer part folds out kind of like a, a pocket knife. And nice. uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, because I have one that I got at Walmart, but I'm not in love with it.
1: So... This was maybe about fifty dollars, uh, mm. so a little bit more money, but the, not as much money as some of the really high end ones go.
0: Yeah, I've also been tempted to get like a Bluetooth one, so I could just wave my phone over it, kind of thing.
1: <laughs> I, I did have a, a remote one uh, that had a, an iPhone app that went with it, and it it just quit working at one point, and I yeah. Well, I'm I'm sitting next to the thing anyway, so I'll just check yeah. it. Correct.
0: Yeah, but I have to open it up and it lets all that, you know, yeah, yeah, hot air out. So yeah, very cool. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. So one thing that I picked up that I've been excited to try out is uh, sous vide, uh, which is another kind of slow cooker. So smokers, uh, crock pots, sous vide machines are all kind of different ways to slow cook food. And generally when I slow cook food, it's meat. Anyway, sous vide, the way that it works is you... You seal your food in plastic bag and then you stick it in water and then the sous vide maintains the temperature. The smoker does kind of the same thing, except it also, you know, charge the wood and you know put smoke into your, into the the air uh, in around the food. So yeah, I've, I've been doing the keto diet and it's just you know it's another way to cook meat that I don't have to go and babysit it. So, yeah, I've I've been looking uh, forward to that. I've had – I got the Anova, I think is the brand name. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Um, But uh, anyway, there are all kinds of things you can do with that. So I've I've been excited about playing with that. I haven't actually cooked anything on it yet. So,
1: Is it about the size of a crock pot? Or
0: So the sous vide machine itself is probably – what It's about as big around as a, a can of soda, and it's about three or four times taller. And so you just stick it into the water bath on like a, a cooler or a tub of water. I see. I see. And so a lot of people will actually do their sous vide in a cooler, and they'll just find some way to modify the lid or, you know, find some other cover for it to keep the, the heat in. And, yeah, that seems to work pretty well. But, uh Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Other folks just use like a regular, you know, decent sized bin that will just hold that much water. So then you can put a roast in there or I'm looking forward to doing some pork belly. I keep hearing about pork belly from uh, Carl Franklin. So I kind of want to do that, you know, just put it in for the day and then pull it out and eat it. But. That sounds good. Yep. And then one other pick that I have is uh, smile.amazon.com. So if you're not familiar with it, they actually do donations based on what you buy to a nonprofit. And um, I think initially I was I had set it up to do it to like Wounded Warrior Foundation or something. But uh, turns out my kid's school is a 501c3 and is on there. So I just did a search and found them and I think it's donated like 10 bucks to them or something. But anyway, so if you're looking for a way that you can, in essence, support... Uh, a movement that has a nonprofit behind it and do so in a way that doesn't really cost you anything. That's, that's one way to do it. So.
1: I'm not sure, but I think Ruby together might be an option on smile.
0: Could be, I wouldn't be shocked if there are a few of those that, yeah, that are code related that you could donate to, but yeah. Yeah. So those are my picks. Sorry. I rambled a little bit there. And I asked you where people can find you online. So let's go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you for coming, Aaron. You bet. Thanks for having me. Uh, happy to do it. All right. We'll wrap this up and we'll catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.